In our last episode, Kelly King, chairman and CEO of Troost Financial, shared his life and how he came to realize that management and leadership were not the same thing. On this episode, Kelly talks about the power of our beliefs and how leaders can use beliefs to reach their employees in a whole new way. I'm your host, Anna Sladen, and this is the Leadership Amplitude Podcast. Along that journey, I uh, went through a divorce as a part of the process. That was mm-hmm. another one of the, the, the self-awareness moments. Wow. Uh, my parents died early, one at 58, one to 68. That oh was another goodness. part of the process of, of awareness. Um, but I was continuing to still trying to move forward. Right. Uh, and fortunately, um, part of the educational opportunities that the bank provided was I uh, attended the Estonia Graduate School of Banking, which was a three-year course yeah. um, in the summers, and you had to do all kinds of homework during the year, and you had to write a thesis. Yeah. So even though I had uh, got an MBA, my MBA program, you didn't have to write a thesis. This had to be a real organized, you know, wow. 200-page thesis. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so I said, well, if I'm going to do this thing, I want to do something that I care about. Yeah. I had been thinking for a good while, several years, about why do people behave the way they behave, mm-hmm. you know, and, and what really creates results. Mm-hmm. And one of my colleagues, Henry Williamson, who's a dear friend, we used to have these long-standing discussions, you know, and he would say, look, it's all about how people behave. If they behave right, they'll get the right results. Okay. And I would say... Because I'd done enough work by then, I would say, no, that's not, that's important, but it's more about what they believe. It's about the way they think yeah. that causes them to behave. He's like, oh, no, no. So we were just endlessly <laughs> fighting. Yeah. So when I went to this graduate school and I did a thesis, I said, I'm going to answer this question. <laughs> I'm going to do my thesis on this. So I did. So my thesis, the hypothesis was, uh, do beliefs cause behaviors? And if they do... Can you change beliefs? So I did, I thought, a really good thesis and answered academically without a shadow of a doubt that beliefs cause behaviors and behaviors cause results. Yeah. And it's a very scientific way to change beliefs. And so based on that, um, I then started kind of becoming the internal beliefs, behaviors guy, you know, yeah. so I wrote it up, and that actually was the genesis of our leadership model, which is still the leadership model of truest. Yeah, which is a core belief around what we do all over programming which, and help we, right. how we help leaders. Right, right, and so that's how that came about, and so then as I developed that, then I started applying it, you know, so I, I'd done the academic research, then I wanted to do the, you know, practical uh, application. Right. And the more I applied it, the more it became true. It just really, really worked. Mm-hmm. And so in terms of my leadership style, I morphed from command and control. Let me tell you what to do. Which is that behaviors part. Which is the behaviors part. Right. To, well, that's okay, but let's start with the beliefs. Mm-hmm. So I started with my team spending much more time talking about the underlying beliefs mm. that cause the behaviors 
uh, and then we knew that I knew that results would would follow. So my style, my personal style, became the leadership behaviors results model. That's so exciting to hear that history of how that model. I know from my life that has been just such an incredible framework with which to explore my own self awareness and and talk with other people around it, especially when. You, know, you try those same beliefs or those same behaviors over and over and over, and they don't work. Right. And you're just at a loss for why is this not working? It yeah. works for other people or yeah. what have you. Yeah, and so so there's another really important aspect of this I'd like to chat with you about. Please. For yeah. time. Um, so, so people also get really confused about motivation. Mm. Um, and And... And so it's important to understand the relationship between motivation and beliefs and behaviors. So what most people believe is that you're motivated to behave a certain way. Right. And that's not really right. Okay. In fact, it's wrong. Okay. Um, now, so, so, so without getting too academic, I believe we are all basically motivated the same way Abraham Maslow described in the 50s. Right. With a hierarchy of needs, you know, starting with physical needs, safety, mm-hmm. social needs, self-esteem, and then ultimately self-actualization. That's- if I'm remembering correctly, what he suggested was in order to kind of move up the scale to self-actualization, you had to meet the needs of the level before it. Right. So you could not think about relationships before you had food and a safe place to sleep. Right. Okay. Right. And if you if you were wildly interested in this topic, <laughs> you go back and read my thesis, and you'll see that what I actually did was I, I did a little modification of Maslow's hierarchy. Did you? I, I love that. Yeah, so it's it's, it's kind of cool because it invokes what you said. So, so it's true at the very basic primal levels. Mm-hmm. You are not worried about self-actualization or socialization or anything else if you're starving to death. Right. Number one is number one. And you really aren't interested in social if you're afraid for your safety. Mm-hmm. If you're afraid somebody's got a gun shooting, you're not worrying about, you know, going to play Checkers with your friends. Right. So, so the basic two are absolute. You don't move from number two to number two until you finish number one mm-hmm. and so forth. But when you get to the higher order needs, when you take up like, like social, social becomes much more important than self-esteem. Mm-hmm. But for most of us on any given day, we get some of our motivational needs from social and self-esteem. It'd be more social up front than mm-hmm. social, but you get self-esteem too. So it's so you just have to look at the little diagram I drew, but it's basically designed to show that on any given day, somebody like yourself, you're probably not motivated by hunger, you're not motivated by safety, but you are motivated by social and probably some self-esteem. Mm-hmm. And as you get further along in life, you begin to get up there into self-actualization. Right. And it's kind of all more like a ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's all interrelated. Mm-hmm. A little different than what matters, but the same concept. Yeah. And so, but here's the important point. So, so how does all that relate to this leadership model? What, what, what can we say about motivation and, and how can we apply that to the leadership model? Mm-hmm. Well, it's important to remember that everybody is motivated. I, I used to have people from time to time would say, I want you to come and motivate my people. Okay. 
give a speech and motivate my people. Right. I said, I'm happy to come give a speech, but I can't motivate your people. And by the way, you can't either. Hmm. Everybody is already motivated. You are motivated by those needs. Okay. Nobody had to give you that. You are motivated. I that's inherently not, possess that. You know, that's not the question. The question is, how do you apply your motivational energy? Motivation is just your energy. It's what it's, you, you, you do things to get food. You do things to be safe. You do things to get social. You, that's your drive, your energy. That's that's what motivation is. Okay. You need that. Now, the question is, how do you get those needs met? And we get those needs met based on what we believe. Ah. Okay, so simple, quick little example. I use this with our new recruits when they come to the bank all the time. So let's take Joe and Mary. So, so, so Joe grew up in a tough environment. Mm-hmm. He grew up in an area where it was really rough. Stealing was rampant. And, in fact, stealing was so rampant and so commonplace in his neighborhood they used to have the annual community stealing contest. Okay. And everybody came out for picnics and all and had this annual stealing contest. Okay. And Joe and his family were great at it. If you went into Joe's house in the living room, you'd see plaques where he and his dad and his granddad won the local stealing contest because <laughs> they're really good at stealing. Right. So Joe believes stealing is not only okay, it's, it's great. celebrated. It's, it's normal. Yeah. Mary grew up in a Southern Baptist home in the South, and all the way was, was told, stealing's bad, stealing's bad, stealing's bad. Thou shalt not steal. Mm-hmm. So now, two different beliefs. Joe says stealing's good. Mary says stealing's bad. Mm-hmm. Now, we find them on the streets of Charlotte one day, and for one reason we don't know, they haven't had anything to eat for several days. They are really hungry. Mm-hmm. They are motivated to eat. Same motivational need. Mm-hmm. Starving. They see a merchant down the middle of the, the, the block. Big baskets of apples out front. Food. Mm-hmm. Joe says, I'm hungry. I'm motivated to get food. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go steal those apples because I think that's pretty cool. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to actually show the people in Charlotte how great I am in it. So he gets up ahead of speed, starts running down the block, picks up five or six apples, Starts juggling them in the air, doing all the things that he won the local contest where he grew up in. And, of course, the police nab him and put him in jail because, you know. But in his mind, he should have been applauded. He He should have been recognized like he was at the last local community contest, right? Because he just did what he believed was right and did it really, really well. Mary, what does she do? She's still hungry, still motivated, just like Joe. She goes to the merchant and says, sir, I'm starving. I need something to eat. Can I please sweep the floor for you or do some work so I can buy some apples? Mm-hmm. The merchant lets her sweep the floor, buy some apples. She gets her food. Joe steals his food. Mary works for her food. Two entirely different behaviors. Why? Two entirely different beliefs. Ah. Same motivation. Mm-hmm. Two entirely different behaviors driven by two entirely different beliefs. So that's how motivation ties into the way we behave. And you have to understand that because leaders make a terrible mistake. They say, well, Susie's not doing a good job. Why? Because she's just not motivated. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they're just wrong. She's, she's, the, the challenge of leaders is to, leadership is about this. Leadership is about creating an environment so people come together for a shared purpose 
and have their needs met or at least substantially met. Hmm. That's what leadership is all about. Okay. That makes sense? It does. And, and what I really like about that story is I think it really shares the concept really well, but it also honors the value of the individuals. Right. You're not saying that Joe is a bad person because he's a thief. No. Right? No. It's more about that is just how his early beliefs that were reinforced by those early experiences caused his behaviors to be a certain way that society said was not acceptable. Right. But he himself still had value. And, and in, in fact, to your point, that's the fundamental problem with our penal system today. Mm. We lock up people like Joe because they do something. So think about Joe now. The, mm-hmm. the, the police officer takes him in, locks him up, puts him in a cell, 10 by 10, with four or five other Joes. One stole a car, one stole whatever. But they all believe what they were doing was right because of the environment they grew up in. Right. They lock them up for, for, for three months, six months, let them out. And now they're mad. Mm-hmm. Why are they mad? Well, you locked me up for doing something that I won trophies for. Right. You guys are stupid. I mean, it just makes no sense. So to get out, they're mad. The next time they get ready to get something to eat, they're so mad they shoot the merchant mm-hmm. just because they're just mad. Right. Because society has now created, made them a bad person, and they still don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. So, so if I could revise the whole penal system today, if somebody gets incarcerated because they're doing something that, that we as a society says is wrong, we have a duty to teach them the right belief. Teach Joe why stealing is bad. Mm-hmm. And then if when you teach Joe and you change Joe's beliefs, when he gets out, he won't go steal and shoot the merchant. He'll get a job and buy the apples. Gotcha. So teaching the belief that there is another path to success. And once you change the belief, you'll change the behavior. Wonderful. I'm reflecting on that quote of yours, one of my favorite ones, which is, there's no facet of society that cannot be improved through better leadership. Right. And that's exactly it. You can apply it to the penal system. You can apply it to, you know, uh, racial injustice. You can apply it to any, any aspects of life where there are bad results coming from bad behaviors. And you can trace it back to a bad belief. So when you have been in your leadership roles and you are interacting in situations where you realize there's a belief challenge with this individual, how do you work with that individual or what guidance would you give to leaders in that position around how you help someone change their beliefs? Okay, so that's a really important question. And people need to understand that there's a real clear process. So the belief change process is the repetitious conveyance of credible information by a powerful source over a a sustained period of time. Repetitious conveyance of credible information by a powerful source over a sustained period of time. So, uh, each one of those words is very important. So, so for example, if I'm working with a, let's just take the simplest example. Let's take, how do you think most of us get most of our basic core beliefs? I would say when we are little and we learn it from our parents. Our parents, exactly, exactly. So why? Repetitious conveyance, don't do this, don't do this, don't repetitious conveyance, credible information. It's my mom, mm-hmm. you know, powerful source over and over and over. Parents, good parents, use that belief process all the time. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Now, if you stop conveying that credible information, then the belief can be changed by other powerful sources. So let's take let's take little little uh, Timmy. So little Timmy grew up in a house, and his parents clearly believed that smoking was bad. Smoking would create cancer. Was hazardous to your health. Mm-hmm. So when Timmy was young, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, they kept saying, "Don't smoke, don't smoke, don't smoke." Well, after a while, erroneously, the, the parents stopped. They just stopped talking about it. Right. And so, but Tim, Timmy, at that point, believed smoking was bad. Now Timmy's thirteen, fourteen years old. So he gets in the car with his friends and starts traveling around at night. First night he gets in the car, everybody's smoking. Mm-hmm. Hey Timmy, you want to smoke a cigarette? Oh no, no, no. Well, why not? Well, smoking's bad for you. How do you know that? My mom and dad told me it was bad. Ah, oh, you know, your mom and dad don't really know. Da la. Right. So this goes on for several nights, including things like, Timmy, I know you love your mom and dad, but we're smoking. We're not dead, right? So I mean, you, clearly they were wrong, right? So, mm-hmm. and, and mom and dad's not saying anything to reinforce the belief that they put into wow. him. Right. Now his belief is beginning to change. So one night after two weeks of this, he just takes a cigarette. Mm-hmm. So he smokes a cigarette. Now, when he gets out of the car to go into the house, he's experiencing something psychologists call cognitive dissonance. Because now he believes, still believes smoking bad, but he smoked. Right. Not good. I feel terrible. Goes to his room and cries. Mm -hmm. But next night, tries it again. Tries it again. After three or four weeks, mom and dad not saying anything. My friends love me. I'm getting this social social need met. Mm -hmm. Right? And I'm smoking. I'm not dead. But my mom and dad love me. They're just a little old-fashioned on this. They just got it wrong. Dismiss that belief. New belief. Smoking's good. I'm cool. There you go. New belief, new behavior. Now the cognitive dissonance goes away. He's back in sync with his belief and his behavior. And, of course, the result turns out to be bad probably 30 years later. Right. So it sounds like he kind of became, in a scenario, desensitized to that original belief due to... Like you said, the repetition, but also that recency of this is what I'm hearing in my environment now. Right, and that's the way the brain works. So the brain works, you know, two parts, conscious and subconscious. Mm -hmm. And and everything that goes into your brain stays in your brain from the day you're born. Some even say before you're born. And so it's like a computer or a sponge. It all goes in there, and Mm -hmm. it's like a pendulum. So, you know, Timmy had all this weight that said uh, smoking bad, 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 a strong, deep belief not in conflict. All of a sudden, though, this other information starts coming in. And after a while, the smoking is good, overweighs the smoking is bad, and we just let the smoking fade away into the deep recesses of the subconscious, and the new belief that replaced the old one is now what's driving the behavior. Hmm. Which suggests, then, that I, as the leader, wanting to influence different beliefs and behaviors in my team, it's around just being repetitive and reinforcing it and being consistent. Right. So, so let's take another example. Mm-hmm. So, let's say I've got a, uh, I've got a, a banker uh, who has a responsibility to call on clients. Uh, so, we hired this banker from another bank. Mm-hmm. Another big bank. And so he, he comes to work for us. He doesn't make many calls. He's failing 
clearly mm-hmm. not making any loans, not getting any deposits because they're not making any calls on any clients. Mm-hmm. And the manager uh, uh, is is talking to him, and but nothing's happening. And but the manager says, "Oh, oh, 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 Harry, the, the banker is not doing well. Oh, Harry is failing. You know why he's failing? He's just not motivated. If this guy didn't get motivated, I'm gonna have to fire him." So so that goes on, and and Harry's uh, about ready to get fired. Because right? of that flaw of the motivation. Because they so said, what, what, what's going on here? So Harry worked for this other big bank for 25 years. For 25 years, he was told over and over and over, you don't call on clients. You, our, our, our culture is you stay in the bank so that the bank, if the client needs us, we're here, we're ready. The phone rings, you come see us, we're here, we're always ready. Mm-hmm. So he's got a deep belief that you don't call. Mm-hmm. Truist comes along and says, go make a call. Well, that's inconsistent with my belief. Right. I, I'm probably not going to tell my boss, you're stupid. I'm just not going to do it. Right. Or if I do it, I'm going to do it halfway, and I'm not going to get good results because I'm doing a behavior that I don't believe in. Mm-hmm. Now, if a good manager was managing Harry, good manager would talk to Harry and say, Harry, you're not getting good results. You're not making loans because you're not making calls. Talk to me about that. Tell me about your life experiences. Tell me about when you work for this other company because if I'm – Thinking about this, I say, he's got beliefs that probably came from this other place he worked for 25 years. Mm-hmm. Tell me, Harry, about what you believe. Then Harry will tell you the truth. Well, for 25 years, they said don't make calls, and now you tell them to make calls. So now Harry knows what the problem is. He's a good now a good leader. He understands the motivational aspect. He understands the leadership model. Mm-hmm. So now good manager starts talking to Harry about, let me explain to you why it makes sense to make calls. Mm-hmm. He didn't just write him a note. He talks to him over and over and over and explains to him. And then he actually supports him by getting him to go with some good calling officers and make a few calls. Mm -hmm. And he sees their good results. He sees them getting compensation. He sees them getting accolades and recognition. And so all of a sudden, he now is able to change his belief and change his behavior and get good results. Oh, and by the way, when, when when the bad boss was saying that Harry was not motivated, Harry would leave the office every day at 5.01. The minute the door closed, he was the first one out. Mm-hmm. You know what he would do? He'd go to the local golf course and practice golf till 9 o'clock every night till it got pitch dark. He did it every day. He played in every local golf tournament at the local uh, country club, and he won most of them. Mm-hmm. He's highly motivated. Mm-hmm. He's getting his social needs and self-esteem needs met over the golf course Right. Not at the bank. Right. Again, I'm just reflecting on, you know, it's it's so much of being willing to honor the value of the individual. Right. To see them as a person. Right. To see them as being able to change right. and to grow. And as a leader, <clears throat> taking ownership of how you can help them grow. Right. A, a really effective leader owns the results of their, their, their person they're working with. Mm-hmm. That, that, uh, a bad leader kind of like blames the, the, the person they're working with. Mm-hmm. So they blame the employee. You know, you're not doing a good job, Harry, so shape up or ship out. You know, mm-hmm. they just, it's kind of an accusatory blaming, not a responsibility for. A good leader said, I'm responsible for your results. I'm responsible for your success. 
I'm partially responsible for your happiness. I'm in this boat with you. Mm-hmm. I'm going to help you work through this. Uh, and, and, and I know what I need to do. I need to teach you these beliefs. And so it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a co-ownership of a sense of responsibility of the ultimate success and happiness of that individual. Mm. So it sounds like really understanding that beliefs, behaviors, results model that you developed not only allows you to explore your own um, leadership style and how you're showing up in environments, but it also allows you to have more effective interactions and mentorship relationships with your employees by factoring in, don't just look at the results. Don't just look necessarily even at the behaviors. Look at the beliefs and where you can help influence that. Exactly. And, 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 and take the time to understand your business. Make, make sure you understand what are the beliefs. See, see most people kind of get what the, the behaviors are to get the results. Mm-hmm. Uh, although, frankly, most managers don't even practice. Uh, most, what most managers do is they focus on results. Make more loans, get more deposits, or else. Right. The more effective managers at least understand that if they're going to change the results, they have to change the behaviors. Mm-hmm. So they have good training program to teach the calling technique, teach mm-hmm. the behaviors. That's good, but it's not sufficient. The really effective leader, and notice I move from manager to leader, mm-hmm. the really effective leader goes up and starts with the beliefs. And actually, in the most ideal term, you actually do both at the same time. You yeah. actually teach the belief and the behavior, and then you use positive reinforcement to reinforce. So when, when Harry makes a good call and get, gets an incentive, you make a big deal about it, you know, mm-hmm. you call all of his peers together. Harry made a call, he got a loan, and he got it, makes them just really positively reinforce that behavior. Right. But keep teaching that belief. Next time, Kelly provides strategies for using beliefs to inspire an organization, even when you can't interact one-on-one with every single employee. If you're a leader of leaders or you aspire to be, this is an episode you don't want to miss. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so that you get the episode as soon as it drops. We've been talking a lot about beliefs in the last few episodes. As a leader myself and as a licensed mental health professional, I thought I had myself pretty well figured out. But attending Mastering Leadership Dynamics with Truth Leadership Institute opened up a whole new perspective and had a dramatic effect on how I viewed myself and how I interacted with others. If you're ready to take a deep dive into your beliefs and enhance the way you lead, sign up for Mastering Leadership Dynamics by visiting us on the web at truthleadershipinstitute.com. If you're not sure yet, but you want to get the inside scoop, email me at leadershipinstitute at truest.com and I'll schedule a time for us to chat. I'm happy to answer any of your questions. Leadership Amplitude is a podcast production of Truest Leadership Institute. All rights reserved.